Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. The fifth Sunday of Lent is the next to final Sunday of the season. The last Sunday before the culminating Passion Week of Lent, which opens with the extended Passion Narrative reading, which comes this year from the Gospel of Mark. We stay in John's Gospel for one final time this fifth Sunday, before returning there again in Eastertide. As we've noted previously, in John's Gospel, it is the raising of Lazarus that triggers the decision to bring Jesus to trial. The culminating sign of Jesus' many signs, the dead Lazarus, come forth alive creates just too great a draw in its wake. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs if we let him go on like this. Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. So from that day they took counsel how to put him to death So the end of chapter 11 of John's Gospel. As we have seen, John has shown Jesus coming up for Passover previously, earlier in his ministry, back in John chapter 2. So in John's Gospel, the plotting against Jesus can zero in on Passover time and place, because the authorities expect him there and then, and they are right about that. The crowds come out to see him, John says, because of the fame surrounding the raising of Lazarus. And John goes so far as to say that his death, that is, the risen Lazarus, too comes under consideration by authorities who are scandalized by his living testimony. And yet one more time, John will record that the crowds swarm Jesus because of the testimony of those who had been present at Lazarus' tomb as Jesus enters the holy city in what is John's version of the Palm Sunday Hosanna, King of the Jews episode. The world has gone out to him, is the concerned verdict. All of this then serves as a trigger or triggers for John's narrative unfolding as the forces against Jesus observe the reality on the ground and seek to stop it. The signs have become too effective, 
and especially the final one. Yet Jesus has his own triggers, his own timing, his own sense of God's work in him, and we hear him express it clearly in the lesson for today from John's Gospel. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As with other things said unwittingly by those who claim to be in power, a truth was prophesied. The whole world has gone out to him means just that. For in our lesson for today, we hear that Greeks have come to see Jesus, Gentiles, Helene, and they go to Greek-speaking Philip, and Philip gets Andrew, and together they go to tell Jesus. Andrew and Philip were those who were the first communicators of his long-promised arrival with Philip finding Nathanael and reporting it back in chapter 1. Understated, but unmistakably, the gospel of Jesus Christ is spilling out beyond the nation and the temple, the proximate concern of the authorities, and into all nations. In the temple that is his own body, ironically to be destroyed after all, as feared by the authorities of the temple structure by the Romans, something is happening mysteriously, inexorably. The hidden grain which will blossom and grow and bear much fruit by dying, the temple of Jesus Christ, and as we see it already drawing all people to himself in anticipation of his final lifting up from the earth, those who may not know who they are seeking to see, but who know he is the one they must see all the same. Sir, we would see Jesus. The hour has come. The whole world is going out to him. It's perfectly possible that the Greeks, the term used for Gentiles elsewhere in John, were actually Gentile proselytes, not unlike the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. Others hold we cannot know that for sure, since pagans also on occasion could bring gifts to the court of the Gentiles as the outer region of the temple precincts were known in tribute during festivals. But in either case, the import is the same. The gospel is making inroads out beyond the temple and the nation into all the world, which will find its high point at the cross. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The epistle reading from Hebrews, then, comes alongside this scene by its reference to the Father's glorification of Jesus and also the prayer of Jesus that the cup might pass by. 
This is registered very briefly in John's Gospel, only to be set aside, consistent with the triumphant manner of Jesus in John. Hebrews speaks of loud cries and anguish, such as we find described in the garden scenes of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yet, as with the one verse, Jesus wept. Jesus' soul is also, in John, troubled. Hebrews wants to emphasize the obedience of Jesus Christ, who did not glorify himself, but fully participated in suffering, submission before God. The judgment of this world, as John calls it, is his confrontation the confrontation of Jesus Christ with the ruler of the world. Hebrews reminds us that this confrontation was costly in a way that Jesus did not seek to avoid in the days of his flesh. So that his obedience to death amounted to a kind of perfection whose purpose was to win eternal salvation for us. This is the priesthood of Jesus, his unique priesthood, a perfect offering for us and our salvation. It is a priesthood, Jesus, in his earthly life, but also, and now especially, in his risen and ascended life, a priesthood Jesus continues to exercise for us, as Hebrews will state it elsewhere. It's here, then, I think, that the cries of the psalmist and the promise to Jeremiah, Jeremiah converge. The psalmist longs for a pure heart, a right spirit deep within to put his soul at peace with God, the God against whom he has sinned, a broken and contrite heart, is a sacrifice, a sacrifice pleasing to God. Jesus, in dying in his priesthood, has entered into that space and has heard us in his saving priesthood, has heard the psalmist, blot out all my iniquities and create in me a clean heart. Here the promise of God to Jeremiah, embodied in the new covenant, takes its focus. The covenant which God made with Israel when he took them by the hand to lead them out of bondage is a covenant they have broken. This was a covenant that needed to be taught afresh to each generation so that they might come to know the Lord. Here, the prophet Jeremiah and the thrust of Deuteronomy are close to one another. Teaching is at the heart of relationship from generation to generation. 
Yet even the final chapters of Deuteronomy envision clearly an Israel that will fail, that will fail to teach and be taught, that will break the covenant, and will in consequence experience the judgment which Jeremiah the prophet announces to his generation. That Jeremiah will share a judgment with the people like Moses before him. Deuteronomy promises that God will hear a penitent Israel and give them a new heart and renew the covenant for a wayward people. Jeremiah sees something consistent with and perhaps a bit beyond that in the promises of God. He and Ezekiel come alongside one another in describing a new heart, a heart clean and pure, a heart that the psalmist longs for. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The how of God's doing this we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Something is happening, something is moving along in him. The hour has come, is lifting him up and drawing all people to him by his death. New life and new growth, new fruit will blossom forth. So the grain dies that the harvest may come. The forces that seek to thwart God and undermine the teaching that makes him known are confronted and defeated. When the Gentiles approach the disciples and ask to see Jesus, Jesus announces that the hour has come, the hour of Jeremiah, of the psalmist. The new covenant reality involves not just the hearts and wills of a disobedient people whom he loves, but draws all people into its saving life. The again of saving health of the penitent psalmist joins the now of the hour that has come for Jesus and for all those he has come to save. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.